We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this evening. We are making our way through the pastoral epistles. We are nearing the end of this series, though, as we are closing in on the end of 2 Timothy. As we've seen for the last couple weeks, this letter in particular acts as not just a farewell letter for Paul, but sort of an encapsulating letter for Paul in the sense that he's passing on all that he hopes that Timothy will carry on as Timothy ministers in Ephesus. We noted at the beginning of this entire study that Timothy was essentially becoming sort of the lead voice or primary preaching voice as Paul is sort of passing the baton, so to speak. Such is why these letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, you get that sense that Paul is talking to a young pupil, a young protege, talking to one that he has been pouring his life into and now he is... He, he knows that his time on this earth is coming to an end. We noted that a couple of weeks ago. Just the sense of finality, the sense of finishing that this letter has. We'll get there, of course, when we get to the fourth chapter. But I think in that vein, that sort of, that sort of mindset, this letter has so many significant matters. Because if you're coming to the end of the, your life and you're passing on these letters, what are you wanting to do? You're wanting to pour your heart into, here's everything that I really, really want you to hold on to. Here's, what the, here's the gist of everything. Hold on to this. Remember this. You can see that as Paul is writing here, as he's writing to Timothy... He's writing concerning all these matters of life and ministry. He's putting Timothy in remembrance. Remember these things. And it's Timothy's remembrance as it is built out of the the faith that God gives him. That I think will really fortify his faith in ministry. And such is what I want to see tonight as we look at three different uh, ways in which Paul is sort of inciting and inviting Timothy to remember. I think they are really relevant for us as well. So again, look at those verses that Pastor Nathan read, verses 8 through 13. Here I think we see Paul encouraging Timothy to remember God's plan. Remember God's plan. Look at verse 8 again. Paul writes, remember... That Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Paul goes back to the very beginning. He goes all the way back to the beginning of your entire scriptures. Did you notice that? He is here. Remember Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that man that we preach as apostles, as raised from the dead. He gives him that moniker, that name, the seed of David. I have no doubt in my mind that he is reminding Timothy of this grand redemptive plan that God has established from the very beginning of creation. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where it was given to the, pro- the promise was given to Eve that her seed would crush the serpent's head. The seed of David. Which was then uh, narrowed in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 where we get the Davidic covenant. Let me read you those verses. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Because there's this important word that jumps out to me. And it should jump out to you as you're reading the scriptures and connecting them. 
Here, of course, if you remember, in 1 Chronicles 17, just a little quick uh, sort of aside as to give you some context. David is asking God, if you remember the story, he's praying to God. And he comes to Nathan and he says to Nathan the prophet, I have a desire to build God a house. I want to build God a temple. He's been uh, worshiping in the tabernacle all throughout all these ages in a place of, of wood and such. And he says, I want to build him an elaborate place for worship. And God says, no. You remember that? God denies David the opportunity to build this majestic temple. And instead, he gives him a better promise. Look at this promise in verse 11. First Chronicles 17, 11, it says, And it shall come to pass, when thy days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I, God speaking, I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build me in house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee. Jump back one more verse. I forgot to read verse 10, which is the verse I wanted to read. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? Um, verse 10. Where he, read it right where it says, Moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee in house. So here's this incredible promise that David has come to uh, God, come to God's man, Nathan, and said, I want to build him a house, and he's denied, and God gives him a better promise. What is it? I will build thee a house, and I will establish your kingdom forever. Yes, in the immediate context, he's talking about Solomon. As you can read, go to 1 Chronicles 22 and all the rest of, of the book. He's talking about Solomon. Yes, that's the seed that he's going to raise up that would actually build the temple. But he's also, it's an eye towards Christ. The seed is Christ. The seed of David that would build David a true kingdom. As Jesus is the kingdom of God. He would come and have this throne that would be established forever. It's Christ. It's Jesus. He's the living seed of David. The king of Israel. I have no doubt in my mind that what's happening here in first or excuse me, second Timothy chapter two is Paul is getting Timothy to turn his eye back to this grand redemptive plan that God has been working in all of human history. Go back, Timothy. You can see it all the way from there till now. God's been working. He's been redeeming and restoring. He is the promised one who has promised to remake and restore all things. He's putting Timothy in remembrance of God's unflinching plan to remake all things. To restore man to right fellowship with the Father. To redeem man from sin. This has been God's plan from the beginning. Ever since that fateful day in the garden, he has promised that there will be coming a seed to crush the head of the serpent. And here I think Paul is getting Timothy to remember nothing can thwart that plan. 
Nothing can oppose this plan that God has put into action. No matter the resistance, no matter the opposition, no matter everyone who comes up against it. This plan moves forward and marches on. You know why? Because God is behind it and God's plans are unstoppable. You and I, we can't even stop them. God's plan from the beginning was to raise up a seed of David, and which is Jesus Christ, who has conquered death by dying. And Timothy, you have been invited to be a part of that plan. You've been invited to preach that message. Nothing can get in the way of this plan from moving forward. Think about how that must have looked for Timothy. Especially when you remember the context of when Paul is writing. We noted a couple weeks ago that this letter is written when? During the Nero persecution of the Christians. One of the most violent assaults on the early church that is ever recorded. And Paul is in chains. The sort of man of the hour is in a Roman dungeon. Things look bleak to say the least. Things look very uh, much like this whole thing is going to come to a little fizzle of an end. And what is Paul saying? It doesn't matter. Man cannot stop what God has established. He cannot stop what God has started. Notice that's what he says in the next verse. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But guess what? The word of God is not bound. (laughs) I love that he says that. I'm in chains, Timothy. I'm in chains right now, but guess what? You cannot chain the gospel. You cannot chain the message of redemption. It cannot be bound by human measures. This is certainly good news for Timothy and the church. They see all this commotion, the circumstances that are inciting fear. And Paul has already reminded him, if you remember from chapter 1, verse 7, that this, uh, remember, chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. The gospel, it, it does not engender that sort of response. The church, no doubt, is seeing the chaos and the commotion, the, the death, the persecution that's surrounding them. You have to step back and think in their shoes. I imagine them asking that question. Is this part of the plan? God, was this part of all the things that you had planned out from the beginning? Is this what you intended? And Paul is saying, oh, I don't know, but guess what? It doesn't matter because it cannot stop what God has started. It cannot be bound. The message of the gospel cannot be restricted by human fetters. It is unbounded. It is a message that man cannot thwart. Therefore, Timothy can rest in this. This is Paul's reminder. Timothy, rest in the fact that nothing happens in which God is not sovereign. He is sovereign over every single event that's happening in life. There is nothing that is outside of his omnipotence or omniscience. Nothing that happens outside of his all-powerful hand and his all-knowing heart. Everything is seen. Everything is noticed. Every trial, every tragedy. He's sovereign in every single moment. Such is why Paul can say here in verses 9 and 10 that he's okay with suffering 
trouble for the sake of this gospel. Or as he says in verse 10. Therefore endure all things for the elect's sake. That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why can he say that? Because he knows that God's plans are better than his own. He knows that God's plans are sovereign and strong and sure. His are weak. His are fickle. His move about with the whims of his own human heart that is finite, that is limited. Here Paul is encouraging Timothy to the same mindset that he has. God's plans are sure. Be reminded of his plans. They are always realized. They are always realized. You cannot stop God's plans. Why? Because he includes this faithful saying. The pastor Nathan read. I love that saying in verse 13. But let me read verse 11. It is a faithful saying. Paul writes. For if we be dead with him. We shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. God has promised to be faithful to his people. And he is never not faithful. Even in the tribulation. Even in the tragedy and the suffering that was already coming about to God's people. Paul is reminding them. Yes, even now God is sovereign. Even now God is good. Even now God is with you. God's plans cannot be stopped. He has promised to care and and to keep his own. If he were to not care for or to not keep his own, he would be denying himself. And Paul is saying he cannot deny himself. He would be lying. He's reminding Timothy that God is constant. The big fancy word is immutable. It just means he cannot change. He doesn't change his mind. It's not, his mind isn't tossed to and fro, as, as Paul even reminds the church of Ephesians, with every wind of doctrine, so to speak. God's mind is constant. He is always himself. He never acts out of character. Which is an encouraging thing for us. Because in a world that is so uh, full of commotion and chaos, a world in which Timothy was trying to minister, in which the next day he didn't know if his entire church would be uprooted by the persecutions that were coming, what is the lone constant, Timothy, that you can minister? The lone constant that you can rely on, that you can bank on? It's this God who's had a plan from the very beginning. That he would deliver the world through the seed that he would raise up. is the living seed of David. He's reminding Timothy of the wonderful certainty that God's plans are invincible. And to the even greater fact that these invincible plans, you've been invited to share in them. And to be a part of them. What an incredible reality for Timothy. You've been invited to share in this beautiful and glorious message of the gospel. Against which nothing can come about. Nothing can stand against it. Remember Jesus' words to Peter. Matthew 16. 
the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's talking about the church. The church that stands on the confession of what? That Jesus is the Messiah. That confession, nothing can thwart that. Nothing can then come against that mission of the church. He reminds Timothy, remember God's plans. But also look at verse 14. Because here I think Paul seeks to put Timothy to remember God's purpose. Look at what it says. Of these things, put them in remembrance. There's our word again. Charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Remember God's purpose. Again, it would have been very easy for Timothy to become discouraged and disgruntled by all the things that he is enduring. His circumstances, no doubt, uh, made it difficult for him to press forward. He could very easily doubt his purpose. After obstacle after obstacle comes his way, he can begin to doubt whether this is really the God's purpose for my life. Such is why he's reminding Timothy here, you want to know what your purpose is? Your purpose as a minister of the gospel is to put other people in remembrance. Your job as a pastor, Timothy's primary pastoral task, was to put others in continual remembrance of the gospel. How? By reminding himself of the gospel. (laughs) I'm a rememberer who's trying to make you remember, and often I forget. That's what a pastor does. (laughs) It's that beautiful uh, text, I think I shared it uh, in this past midweek, uh, Bible study. It's attributed to Spurgeon and Luther. I don't know who said it. We preach the gospel every day because we forget it every day. It's a continual, constant reminder to us. This is Timothy's purpose. Put them in remembrance of these things. Charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words. You could also say here unhealthy words that subvert the hearers. And what's in contrast to unhealthy words? It's the, the phrase he's been using constantly. Sound doctrine. Healthy words. Timothy, that's your purpose. Put them in remembrance of those things. Help them call to mind the words and the doctrines of God. And for Timothy, that means he has to be personally devoted to these same words himself, such as why he reminds him, study to show thyself approved unto God. I love this verse, though, because it gives Timothy the standard for his ministerial success. It's not what man thinks it is. It's what God says. Notice he says, study to show thyself approved unto men in the world that they see your ministry flowing and flourishing and growing and burgeoning with abundance. Does it say that? He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Regardless of what men think of you, what they may say of you, what they may say of you for standing with me, a guy who is now put in prison, The bias and the stigma that goes along with aligning yourself with a prisoner of Rome. You have to be okay with that, Timothy. You have to be okay with the stigma that comes along with preaching a gospel which is not popular. 
with sharing a word of truth which often caused people to bristle. But guess what? Study to show thyself approved unto God because he is the standard for your ministerial success. Not whatever men think of you, what God approves of you. He is your rubric. He is what you are to measure your life by. Such is what he gets him to remember by mentioning two more names. Look at verse 17 where it says, In their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. I love Paul. If you look at Paul's writing, he is not afraid to name names. He often names names in a good way. He often will close his letters by reminding people of the encouraging people that have helped him write or share messages between the churches. But if you remember Philippians 4, or if you remember the end of 1 Timothy chapter 1, or even here, he is not afraid to name names publicly, to stir them perhaps to repentance, or to call them out publicly. Such is what he does with these two guys here, Hymenius and Philetus. You might remember that Hymenius is actually the guy who's named in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Same guy. He's obviously causing a lot of grief to Timothy in the church. But he mentions these two and he compares them to that wonderful King James word, a canker. It just sounds gross and disgusting. Look it up, it means something like gangrene. Or a cancerous disease of open sores that spreads. Imagine being called that. Hymenius, you're like a canker to me in my ministry. (laughs) I wouldn't like that reputation, but why does Paul call them out so bluntly? Well, look at verse 18. These guys, who concerning the truth, have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. You see, these two guys, Hymenius and Philetus, had been caught up and captured by what Paul has says in verse 16. These profane and vain babblings. The, the fruitless discussions that had been uh, seizing the early church with a sense of intellectualism and sophistication. It was plaguing the early church. What we would later know as Gnosticism. And they were disbelieving God's word. And they held to this strange belief that the resurrection was not a physical reality. It was only a spiritual one. They held to the idea that the resurrection which Jesus established was just a resurrection of our spiritual faculties. It wasn't a physical resurrection. It was just a spiritual one. So now we can do good works. Why? Because Jesus resurrected. And so in that sense, they were preaching of a resurrection that's already been done. It's already passed. Which to Paul, you can obviously see in Paul's writing, he is so offended at this that he has to call them out publicly. This comment demands further comment, Paul is trying to say. This doctrine, that this idea that the resurrection of Christ was not a physical reality is basically nullifying and voiding our entire faith, such as what he writes about in 1 Corinthians 15. He couldn't stand these two guys without making a comment because he was adamant about what? That the sound doctrine of God is that when Jesus raised from the dead, he walked out of it with a body. It wasn't just a spiritual, ethereal thing that happened. He wasn't a ghost. He had a body, 
of flesh and blood and bones with breath in his lungs. That's what makes the scene in John 19 where Timothy, or excuse me, not Timothy, Thomas touches that resurrected body so incredibly marvelous. Why? It says he's touching a real body. It's a physical resurrection. And Paul is saying this is what our faith is captured by. By a body that has conquered death. That has conquered the grave. That has canceled sin for you and for me. And so that's why he is calling out these two guys. Why? They have forgotten their purpose. They'd forgotten what they were called to do. Perhaps these guys were teachers. We don't know much about these two names. They're only mentioned here. Hymenaeus is mentioned in 1 Timothy 1. Maybe they were other deacons or disciples or teachers or local area pastors. I don't know. But regardless, they had forgotten their purpose. They had forgotten God's truth. They had began to spread falsehoods and rumors in the church. And they were spreading this, this uh, false doctrine so much, it was eating away at the church at, like a canker sore. It was destroying the church like a cancerous infection. Instead of speaking profitable words, Hymenaeus and Philetus were speaking profane and vain babblings, which was leading some to have their faith overthrown. They were subverting the faith of those they were teaching. Or in the words of 1 Timothy 1, they were making their faith shipwreck. Running the faith of some into the ground. Because why? They were forgetting their purpose. So Timothy's purpose for me is abundantly clear here as Paul writes it. Preach the truth. Put your church in remembrance of the sound doctrine of God. The healthy words of the gospel. This, Timothy, is what matters. This, Timothy, is the standard by which you measure your ministerial success. Remember God's plan. Remember God's purpose but look at verse 19 here Paul closes this challenge of remembrances by challenging Timothy to remember God's pledge look at what he says nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are his So right before Paul segues into a discussion in verses 20 and 21 about purging vessels of dishonor out of God's house. And right before Paul commands Timothy to flee youthful lusts, to protect himself in ministry, to uh, set a good example in his place of ministry. And right before Paul urges Timothy to mind all the marks that become a good servant of the Lord in verse 24. Paul reminds Timothy of this monumental pledge of God to his people. Which is what the Lord knoweth them that are his. This is Timothy's surest encouragement. His greatest incentive to the ministry. God knows you. God sees you. He knows those who are his. Regardless of what the world says about you or does to you, God never forgets those who are his. What an incredible pledge of God. 
he never forgets. He always remembers those who are his. He always remembers his children. This remembrance would keep him secure in all of suffering. It would keep him sanctified for all of his service. This pledge of God would establish and fit and fortify him in his ministry for this church. It would be the only thing that he can rely on when all of life might say something other than the fact that God remembers him. Think about Timothy and the things that he was enduring, the things that he might endure. Or think about your own life. Has there ever been a moment when you thought that God is not remembering me right now? I feel like God is turning his back on me. That God is turning his head away from me. He's forgetting me. This pledge of God stands the test of time. God knows those who are his. You might feel like you're misremembered, but this is his seal. The foundation stands sure. God never forgets his children. He never forgets them. Even in suffering. Even in sorrow. Even in death. Even in the most stressful seasons of life. The Lord knows those who are his. As it says in John 10. That no one can pluck you out of his hand. No power in all of heaven or hell can pluck you out of the hand of Christ. The Lord knows those who are his. And this was also encouraging for Timothy. Why? Because notwithstanding the incredible departure that was happening within the church at this time. The people fleeing and and falling from the faith left and right that are going away from the church. God always has a remnant. This is the foundation. God knows those who are his. H.A. Ironside, the great preacher, he says, All the power of the enemy has been brought against the church. Against the church of God down through the centuries. But the church abides. And it will abide. Until the Lord comes again. No matter what. The Lord knows those who are his. This is his pledge with us. No matter what happens. What God has founded stands sure. For Timothy this was a monumental pledge. With which he could rest his life on. And encouragement is for us to do the same. In the chaos of international conflict and wars which, we may or, which may or may not be happening. In the uncertainty of whatever is going to happen in Washington later on. In all of the flurry of the media that is feeding our fears. Guess what? God's truth always persists. God always knows those who are his. And God's plan is unstoppable. Regardless of whoever gets elected in 2020, guess what? That doesn't change God's plan. His plans with the world are invincible. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what happens with our lives, with our jobs. God's plans are unstoppable in this world. His foundation standeth sure, Paul says. It is strong and firm and solid and steadfast. That word sure though there, I love one other word which it means, which it implies. It's the word stubborn. 
Because I like it because I think that that's God. He has a stubborn remembrance of us. Even when we think that he is not remembering us, he stubbornly remembers those who are his. And he gives them grace. And he gives them patience and he gives them confidence. How? Because he reminds them that I know who are mine. I know you. I know you. And it's suggestive of God's intimate knowledge of us. That God is close to us. That God protects and cares and provides and gives us peace. Because he knows us. This is God's promise to us. His pledge to us. That regardless of what happens, he knows those who are his. So, we have a sure purpose. Because God's plan cannot be thwarted. And we can stand strong and firm in that. We can make the same confession that Paul and other writers of scripture make. What can man do to me? I know my purpose. Because I have God's pledge. And his plan is including me. And we can have faith and hope and confidence in this. That we are never out of his care. That God always remembers us. Let us pray.